Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. And uh, well, here in a moment, we'll jump to the Word of the Lord. And let me just begin by sharing a story with you today uh, that kind of will set the tone for my message. It's a story about Pablo Picasso. He was a Spanish artist who sketched and sculpted and painted his way uh, into prominence in the early, uh, early 20th century. And on a rare occasion when he was uh, called upon to do so, he would paint a live portrait of someone. One such instance was his painting of Gertrude Stein, who was one of America's foremost authors of her day. Stein was born in Oakland, California. She was educated at Radcliffe College. She studied at John Hopkins University. But for most of her life, she lived in Paris, and that is where she did most of her writing. Now, to a lot of people, you were either a Gertrude Stein fan or you just didn't get it, the stuff that she wrote. I read a little bit of her writings this week, and I can understand why some people just get real excited about it and other people just kind of think it was a little bit odd. But my focus here today is not about her writings, but about her encounter with the famous artist, Pablo Picasso. As I mentioned, during the winter of 1905 and 1906, Gertrude Stein sat for a live portrait to be painted by this master painter. But unfortunately, it didn't go very well. Not only did she sit once, twice, three times, a lady. Amen. Let me just throw that in there. <laughs> once, twice. Uh, not only did she sit once, twice, three, she sat 90 times for her portrait. Yeah, that thing better look great, right? But guess what happened? After 90 times, Picasso grew frustrated, and he finally said to her, he said, I can't even see you any longer when I look at you. He'd been, she'd been sitting for so long, he said, I can't even see you any longer when I look at you. So he painted over her face, packed up his brushes, his paints, his canvases, and he returned home to Spain. Now, once he got back home, and I guess once his emotions had settled a little bit, he picked it back up and he continued to work on the portrait of Gertrude Stein, although she was not present. And by spring, it was almost finished, and then by the fall, the painting was finally ready to be unveiled. So they gathered friends and family together for this portrait unveiling, and when they finally revealed the picture, all the onlookers were surprised. And the reason they were surprised is because Gertrude Stein was a young woman when Picasso painted her, but staring back at them from that canvas was the face of an older, wiser woman. And I'll throw that back up on the screen, if you would, for me, please. With an introspective face with a somber look, people felt like the picture did not look like her. 
And eventually, a lone, brave voice in the crowd remarked to Picasso and said that his portrait did not look like her. To which Picasso simply replied, he said, that doesn't make any difference. She will. She will. And indeed, as time began to pass, as years began to go by, Gertrude Stein actually became the image of that portrait. Put that on the screen for me, please. See, the master was right after all. You see, any good artist can paint what is. A good artist can also paint what once was. But only a master can paint what shall be. Amen. And today, as I look into this room, I see the faces of partially completed canvases. Some of you are old, some are young, some with so much hope and so much potential. Others who, if you're honest, maybe you just feel a little bit tired and drained and weary. But my prayer today as we begin to close out this year of 2021 is that the master will allow you to catch a glimpse of what he sees for you in your life. Hear me, not just as you are, not just as you were, hallelujah, but as you someday shall be. Can somebody give God a praise right now? Amen. So my sermon today is this, the canvas of tomorrow, the canvas of tomorrow. I want you to think back with me for a few moments to when Jesus walked the dusty trails and roads of Jerusalem and Israel. One particular occasion, he was near the village of Capernaum, and he came along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he came upon a man who was busy fishing. The fisherman's name was Simon Peter. Jesus saw this man, but what was it that he saw in Simon Peter that captivated his attention? Was it this ambitious entrepreneur that he saw who already owned several boats and had a number of people working for him? Was it, was it the rugged fisherman that he saw who maybe was just struggling to try to make ends meet? What was it about Peter? Was it the rough edges that this guy had with the quick temper and the sharp tongue who maybe he was just going to be destined to cast nets in the water the rest of his life. But whatever it was that Jesus saw, Jesus' call to him was, follow me. And these two words, coupled with Peter's obedience, absolutely changed the direction and trajectory of his life. No longer was Peter just going to fish for fish, but we understand now that Peter was going to become a fisher of men. Amen. Simon Peter was every man's man, right? He was an alpha male. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. He had a temper. He was vocal. He was pushy. When he fell, he fell hard. When he excelled and when he won, he excelled brightly. His mistakes were just as visible as his strengths were undeniable. So really it was no surprise that in his life 
defeat and failure often were side by side with victory and triumph. Simon Peter was a real guy with a lot of great highs and a lot of low lows. And our text today that we want to read from Matthew 16 tells about one of the shining moments in his life. Jesus was quizzing his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, it says, Then he asked them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. He said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Amen. What a revelation, right? What a testimony. The Father in heaven revealed to Peter what the true nature of Jesus was. But here we go. We hear this great story, and Peter's calling him out. I mean, Jesus is calling him out saying, hey, Peter, you got a revelation from God. You are going to be the rock. You, not Dwayne Johnson, but you're going to be the rock. Amen. You're going to be the rock. You're going to be the one. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And then not very many verses later, we find this same Jesus rebuking this same Simon Peter and calling him Satan. <laughs> wow. Talk about good day, bad day. Amen. Talk about flip sides of the same coin. Satan. What a difference. Well, what is this all about? Is he blessed? Has he got a revelation? Or is this guy cursed? What's the deal? But see, Jesus saw in Peter the flawed human being that stood before him, yet superimposed over all of those weaknesses and flaws and scars was another image that Jesus could see. And it was the canvas of tomorrow. It was what was yet to come in Peter's life. Hallelujah. See, Jesus not only knew his past, Jesus not only was keenly aware of who he was in that very moment, but he also saw the potential in his life and he knew what he was capable of becoming and he knew what he was capable of doing, amen. You see, Jesus could see the canvas of his tomorrow. He could see not only who he was, but he could see who he could be, amen. See, Jesus didn't just see the cussing sailor. Jesus saw the guy who was gonna preach on the day of Pentecost, amen. Jesus didn't just see the guy who was going to stand by a campfire and deny that he even knew him. Jesus saw the guy that he was giving the keys to the kingdom to. Jesus didn't just see Peter who was going to run and hide after the crucifixion. Jesus saw Peter that was going to lead Gentile nations to know who he was. See, the master saw the canvas of tomorrow. Not who he was then but who he was destined to be and who he was to become. See, folks, Jesus sees things differently than you and I do. He sees things further than you and I do. He sees things that others, including ourselves, cannot see. The canvas of our tomorrows. What is it about us as human beings that we can see? 
where really we're so limited. We don't get to see, we don't have the vision that Jesus does, even of our own lives. You know what we tend to see? The easiest thing we see, first of all, is the wins and losses of yesterday, right? That's the first thing that we see. Many of us can't see tomorrow, much less today, because we're so focused on yesterday. We're so focused on last year, last ministry, last marriage, last job, last church. See, I don't just mean that we see yesterday's failures, but did you know sometimes we're even held back by yesterday's victories as well? Amen? First, let me just deal with our failures. See, there's a lot of Christians who have failed miserably, but we've got to learn to fail forward, and we've got to go on to do something in this life and for God. There's a lot that we can learn from our failures and from our mistakes, we can learn not to make the same mistakes which caused us to fall. We can learn to make better preparations for the future. We can learn and sometimes readily recognize what was it that led me down that path? What was the blind spot in my life? What was the weakness? What was the stumbling block? What was the place that I was struggling with? We can learn some of these things. And you see, one of the most valuable lessons that yesterday can teach us is one of humility. How many of you know it's a whole lot easier to say that you're humble than it is to be humbled? <laughs> there is nothing fun about being humbled. There's nothing glorious about making a mistake and getting up with mud on your face. But did you know God takes the greatest pleasure in taking our failures and using them to catapult us into victory? Hallelujah, amen. See, failure is never final unless you allow it to be. Moving forward after failing is far more than just having a good attitude about your mistakes. It's more than just taking risk and hoping that the reward is gonna equal the risk involved. It's the ability to get back up after you've been knocked down, amen? It's the ability to look at yesterday and say, I'm not gonna be defined by my yesterday, amen? I'm gonna learn from my mistakes. I'm gonna move forward in a better direction. Come on, can somebody give God a praise for that, amen? So you don't have to be limited by your past mistakes. You don't have to repeat those mistakes. You don't have to be defined by what you have done or what you have failed to do. See, we need to stop staring at the canvas of yesterday. We need to spend more time looking through the windshield than the rear view mirror. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Did you notice Paul said, I'm doing one thing? That sounds like two things. Forgetting the past, looking forward. Forgetting the past, looking forward. No, no, that's really one thing. Because you can't really look forward until you learn how to forget the past. Amen. You can't really look forward until you learn to say, I can't be defined by yesterday's failures or yesterday's victories. Amen. Let me tell you why yesterday's victories can be a stumbling block. Because sometimes we get comfortable and we think, I've already done what God has called me to do. Or I've already hit my high watermark. I've already hit my peak. There's really no place for me to go. There's nothing left for me to do. And what happens is we get comfortable with yesterday and sabotage tomorrow. 
See, the older you get, how many of you know the older you get, the fuller the canvas becomes? Man, here's a brush stroke. I remember that. I remember this healing. I remember this moment. Ooh, I remember this bankruptcy. Oh, I don't want to go back there again. I remember this trap. I remember this death. I remember this problem. I remember this obstacle. Ooh, I remember when I bought that house. I remember when I got that raise. I remember when I got that job. I remember when we had that child. I remember when that child had my grandchild. And the canvas just gets fuller and fuller. And the paint strokes are there. And we see the image. But you know what we tend to do? And I'm, let me just speak some to, to some of the over 35, over 30 people. Because when you're, uh, you know, when you're in your 30s, you're still young. You, yeah, amen. The older I get, the higher that number goes up, by the way. Amen. See, 40 used to sound really, really old when I was 20. Man, you 40-year-olds, y'all, y'all are babies, amen. <laughs> but let me, let me tell you what happens, guys. We tend to slow down and we think the picture's complete. Or we tend to think there's really nothing left for me to accomplish. That is a lie from the enemy. Come on, I want to challenge somebody, amen? See, it's never too late to make a change or to make a difference in our world. Vera Wang, the famous designer, she didn't design her first dress until she was 40. Henry Ford was 45 years old when he created the Model T car in 1908. Amen. Writer Harry Bernstein wrote countless books that were rejected before he got his first hit book. And you know how old he was? 96. I might have gave up at 95. Amen. I mean, I I can't promise you that. I'm pretty sure I would have gave up after the first rejection. Stan Lee, the creator of the Fantastic Four comics, he was just shy of his 39th birthday, amen? And now comics and characters like Spider-Man and the X-Men, they became cultural icons. By the way, if you see any little miniature Spider-Man or X-Men running around today, upstairs they're having pancakes and pajama Sunday, amen? I tried to go up there, but they told me I had to preach, amen? So no pancakes for me. Donald Fisher opened his first Gap store at the age of 40. Sam Walton opened his first Walmart store at the age of 44 in 1962. And by the way, his children and grandchildren, they're the wealthiest family in the world. The legendary comedian Rodney Dangerfield, amen, he didn't become a hit until he was age 46. Laurel Ingalls Wilder published the first Little House on the Prairie books at the age of 65. Now, don't y'all be embarrassed. How many of you grew up with Little House on the Prairie? Come on, man, don't be ashamed. We're not going to laugh at you, amen? Man, the Little House on the Prairie was a staple in my house growing up. Matter of fact, we loved it so much. We've got, there's these things, they're called DVDs. We've got nine, we got all nine seasons of Little House on the Prairie on our shelf, and our girls used to love to watch them, amen? And I can neither confirm nor deny if we've ever watched them when they were not present. See, I could go on and on, guys. I I got a whole list of these things. But my point is, we can't just focus on the canvas of yesterday. We can't just think that God is done with us because of our failures or our successes. Amen. It's so easy to look at the past and see the picture, right? It doesn't take a genius to do that. Amen. I, I tell people all the time, it doesn't take a genius to see an obstacle or a problem. Amen. But the ability to look forward and recognize that those wins and losses are setting you up for a greater tomorrow. Amen. 
What do we do? We focus on the wins and losses of yesterday. You know what else we tend to do? We tend to focus on the frustration of today. The frustration of today. The disappointment of right now. See, that's where a lot of people are living, and we don't want to talk about it because we don't want to seem like a negative Nelly or a downer, amen. But if you look long enough at today, sometimes you'll become disappointed or disillusioned. Regardless of how good or how blessed you might find the present circumstance to be, how blessed you might feel, we sometimes will look and we'll say, well, there's always room for improvement, and I haven't arrived yet, and my life really isn't that great. See, day-to-day living starts to feel like a grind, like it's never going to end. Today begins to feel as if it's just another mundane and tedious day. It's kind of like when Picasso was looking at Gertrude Stein after the 90th time and he said, I can't even see you anymore. I'm looking right at you and I don't know who you are. And sometimes the mundane of life begins to just begin to feel like a treadmill or like the rat in the wheel and we're just running through and we're like, what's the point in all this? What's, what's the deal in all this? And day-to-day living can become frustrating. That is a lie and a trick from the enemy, amen. God didn't call us to live a mundane treadmill life. He called us to live an overcoming life. He called us to live a victorious, come on somebody. He called us to live a victorious life. He called us to live a joy-filled life. But today, right now in the present, that's, all, that's the only canvas some of us can see. But God is still busy working in us and through us. See, and if you don't stop to ponder that, life can seem futile. And then a pervading sense of emptiness and can just begin to swallow us up. The creaking in our bones and, and, and the aches in our muscles begin to make us wonder, how much time do we have left? Unnamed hopes and unfulfilled dreams start to stare back at us in the mirror, begging for answers. This present world that we live in, by itself, it really doesn't offer any lasting comfort as long as we are alive on this earth, unless our hope and purpose is grounded in Jesus Christ. We're never going to sense that fulfillment that he wants us to feel. See, people wonder all the time, what does this mean? How, how can I go through the motions on my job? Why, why am I doing this? I was talking to someone this past week, and they were going through a really difficult time, and they're not a believer. And, and they make no bones about that, and they're not a believer. And I started trying to talk to them about their walk with the Lord just a little bit. And they told me very pointedly, they said, I will not ever bow my knee to God. And I told them, oh, yes, you will. And so will Satan. We all will bow our knee. Amen. We all, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Amen. Either in this life or the next. And see, without Christ as the center, without God as the driving focus of our life, life begins to just feel very, very frustrating, very, very empty, very difficult. The Apostle Peter He could have kept looking at himself thinking, man, all I do is make mistakes. I just keep doing the wrong things. Man, yesterday Jesus was lifting me up and today he's calling me the devil. Amen. I keep saying the wrong stuff. I stand up when I should sit down. I speak up when I should shut up. 
I run when I should stand. I stand when I should run. See, because if you gaze long enough in today's mirror, folks, you're going to eventually become disappointed in yourself if you don't have an eternal perspective and understand that God is still at work. See, not just yesterday's wins and losses, those aren't what define us. Not just the uncertainty of the present, but a very certain, hopeful future. And folks, that's what we need to see. We need to see what Jesus sees, the hope of tomorrow. Come on, the canvas of tomorrow. The Bible commands us not to worry about tomorrow. The Bible teaches us to live in confident expectation of the future, amen. When trouble comes, we are taught in the scripture to lift up our eyes, amen. When doubt whispers in our ears, we're taught that no famine, no pestilence, come on somebody, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, amen. Weeping may last for a night, but what? Come on, joy comes in the morning, amen. Corey Tim Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Hallelujah. See, there's hope in our tomorrows. Jesus looks at the canvas and he does not just see who we were. He does not just see who we are. Hallelujah. But he sees who we can be because he's the master, who we will be. Jesus looked at Simon Peter and he called him Cephas or the rock. It's as if Jesus was looking at Peter and saying, you know what, Doc, I see where you are today. Yeah, I see all your drama. I see all your lack of discipline. I see your sharp tongue. I see how you are. I see who you are. But I also see. <laughs> the canvas of your tomorrow. I also see what you are going to become. Amen. Peter, the same guy that denied him three times was given the keys to the kingdom. The same guy that tried to kill a soldier in the garden of Gethsemane. Folks, he wasn't trying to nick his ear. He wasn't trying to give him a little scratch and say, oh, let me just remind you. No, no, no. He was trying to take that guy out. Peter who tried, Jesus is like, man, dude, get back. Give me the ear. Come here. Sorry for what my guy did. Pop. <laughs> Peter, what, what's up? Can you imagine? Man, you, I mean, you, Peter was like, yeah, just chop that dude's ear off. What's Jesus doing? Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like an idiot again. Jesus is looking all past that. Peter, one day you're going to preach on Pentecost. Peter, one day you're going to go to the Gentiles. Peter, one day, do you remember when you saw me raise the dead? Guess what? You're going to lay hands on people and the dead are going to come back to life. Peter, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna walk by and your shadow is going to brush over a crippled man. Oh, and he's going to jump up and walk again. Peter, you don't see it because you're not the master. But Peter, there's a canvas of your life. It's covered up. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow. All you've got to do is obey me and walk in the path that I set before you. Because under all this covering is a masterpiece. Under all this covering is your purpose. Under all of this is a plan that I've got uniquely made for you. I've called you to do certain things that I've not called anyone else to do. 
See, Peter, all you see is a cussing fisherman. I see a leader. I see a man of God. And I'm looking at this crowd right now. Come on, I want to talk to somebody. You didn't come to church by accident today. You're not watching this message online just, just because, just because. You say, I'm a failure. God says you're a leader. I'm backslidden. That might be right now. That's not tomorrow. It doesn't have to be that way. Amen. I messed up. Sure you did. But if you fess up, you can start anew. God sees the future. Isaiah 49, God spoke through the prophet to the people of Israel. Their capital laid in ruins. Jerusalem's walls had been breached and they had been broken down. And you know what God said to them? Your walls are continually before me. What walls? Your walls are continually before me. You mean that pile of rubble that used to be a wall? Yeah, your walls are continually before me. You see now, I see tomorrow. Amen. See, you might just see the present, but God sees your future. You might see the problem, God sees the possibility. You might only see the rubble, but God sees a phoenix rising from the ashes. Come on. Pastor, I've gone too far. Well, Samson did too. God picked him up again. Jeremiah cursed the day he was born. But God lifted him up and used him as a prophet to the people of God. Hear me, this present, the present you're in cannot get so bad that God cannot cure your tomorrow. Here, God's word is the bridge from now to tomorrow. God's promises are the bridge from where you are to where he wants to take you, amen. In the beginning, God's word brought light from darkness and God's word, his proclaimed word, will still do the same in your life. Come on, somebody. When Ezekiel had his vision of the valley of dry bones, what happened? He preached and God moved, amen. And a boneyard became a battalion, amen. We like to sing that song, Graves Become Gardens, and that's what happens when you trust in the plan of God for your life. Folks, we're getting close to the end of the year and the beginning of a brand new year. 2020 was chaos. 2021 was maybe one notch above chaos for some people. Some of us are wondering right now, what is this next year going to hold? I don't know, but the master does. He knows. I want to ask the praise team and musician to come. We're getting ready to start a fresh year in just 27 days. Amen. What do you see on the canvas of your tomorrow? Pastor, I don't see anything. All I see is the stuff that the enemy keeps telling me to see. Do you see only what yesterday has constrained you to see? Do you see what only your failures have molded you to see? There's an old Mariner's chart on display in the British Museum in London. It was originally sketched in 1525 by a mariner, and he vaguely was outlining the coast of North America and its adjacent, adjacent waters. The guy who made the map also made some very intriguing notations on certain unexplored areas of the map. True story here. Right on the map, he's this rough draft, if you will, of a map. He wrote, here be giants in one place. Another place he wrote, 
Here be fiery scorpions. Another place he wrote, here be dragons. Now, I don't know what he was smoking in his peace pipe. I don't know what he ate. I don't know what caused him to think all of these horrible things. But here, here be giants. Here be fiery scorpions. Here be dragons. And eventually, the map came into the possession of Sir John Franklin, a British explorer in the early 1800s. He took that map out and he looked at it and he looked at all those odd notations and he began to scratch. I don't know if he had a quill or a pen or what he had. I don't know what they wrote with. But he began to scratch through those fearful inscriptions of here be giants. He scratched that out. Here be fiery scorpions. He scratched that out. Here be dragons. He scratched that out. And you know what he wrote? He wrote, here is God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here is God. I got to ask you, what do you see on your life's map? Here be my divorce. Here be my arrest. Here be my moral failure. Here be my missed opportunity. Here be my addiction. Here be my win, and I've never won since. I want to preach to you today that your past mistakes and your present fears do not dictate the canvas of your I want you to stand with me all over this house, please. You might say, well, Pastor Picasso, that's not what I look like. I don't look like a winner. I don't look triumphant. I don't look like a small group leader. I don't look like a soul winner. I don't look like God's child. I don't look like a praise team member. I don't look like somebody serving pancakes to kids in pajamas. I don't look like somebody who volunteers in the community. I don't look like a community leader. I don't look like a social media advocate. I don't look like somebody that's going to change our public schools. I don't look like any of those things. Maybe not. But what does the master see that you're going to look like? Hallelujah. What calling does he have on the canvas of your life that has not yet manifested itself? somebody you think that it's over it's not over you're here you're breathing you're living when Jesus died and was resurrected and he walked on the earth do you know where they found Peter he was back on his fishing boat This guy walked with Jesus for three years. This guy had seen all the miracles. This guy knew all, and there was Peter back on the boat. Now, it doesn't tell us why, and the Bible doesn't say this, so this is just my opinion. This is not in the Bible. But it makes me wonder if Peter thought, you know what? After all my mistakes, after all my fears, because you got to remember, Peter's last memory was cussing and denying that he even knew him and then he went off and hid and I wonder if when Peter got back on the boat if his thought was if he can see past my mistakes if he can still love me after all I've done 
that he can find me where he found me the first time. And I want to say to somebody in this room right now, he will find you right where he found you the first time. You can't run far enough from him that he won't seek you out. You can't mess up enough that he says, I still don't have a, that I don't have a plan for you any longer. Amen. The canvas of your tomorrow is just as bright, hear me, as you will allow God to make it. For some of you, it's just an altar of repentance. For some of you, it's just an altar of saying, God, I just need, I just need to get reacquainted with my dream and my vision. Right now, some of you, you've got dreams that are year, years old. I, if I told you some of the dreams that I had for this church when I was 29 years old as a pastor, and here I am, 55, there's so many things that haven't come to pass. But you know what? I'm still dreaming. I'm still dreaming, amen? And here's what I know about life. If we're not careful, we can focus so much on all the stuff that did not happen, that did not go right, that did not go in our, that we forget about all of the wonderful blessings of God that we have in our life right now. Amen. You are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Don't just focus on the canvas of yesterday. Don't just focus on the canvas of today. But right now on this altar call that we're getting ready to have, will you allow God to give you just a little glimpse of your tomorrow? You might say, Pastor, I don't have a clue what my tomorrow is. That's okay. It might take you days. It might take you weeks. It might take you months to figure that out. I don't know. But here's all you got to do. One step. Take the next step. I walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, I embrace your dream, not the lie of the enemy. God, I accept what you say about me, not what others say about me. Amen. God, I believe what you see in me, not even what I see in myself. So I'm going to open up this altar right now, and I want to encourage somebody here today. He's going to meet you right where he found you. He's going to meet you right where he found you. Picasso painted the Gertrude Stein of the future. And Jesus sees the canvas of your life. He sees your tomorrow. I want to open this altar. As the praise team begins to sing, I want to invite you to come. I want you to come out from where you are. I pray that many of you would just come to this altar and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for a new tomorrow. I'm ready for a new year. I'm ready. I'm ready for act two. I'm ready for act three. God, I'm ready for the next stage. I'm ready for my new season, God. I'm ready for whatever you have for me. Come on, somebody. Don't let yesterday come by you. Don't let yesterday rob you. Amen. Come on, that's it.
what God wants you to do. And that's okay. That's okay. You may be, oh man, you're just thinking about, Lord, I'm just, that's okay. Here's what we're going to pray together and just begin to say, no matter where you're at, no matter what the dream is, no matter what they call, God, I just want you to help me to begin to walk toward your plan for my life. Now, let me just assure you, part of his plan for your life is for you to serve him and to make him Lord of your life. And that means more than just confessing that Jesus is Lord of your life. That means letting him have control of your life. Amen. Letting him lead you and direct you and guide you. But here's what I know. When you do that, the Lord is going to order your steps. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he's going to reveal his plan and his destiny and his purpose. And it might take a while for it to unfold, but that's okay too. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. So I want you to just lift your hands and let's begin to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I want to walk in your will. God, as we close out this year, I want you to know in 2022, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to become what you've called me to be. I'm ready to become a leader. I'm ready to become a disciple. I'm ready, God, to do anything you call me to be. I'm ready to witness and tell others about you. God, I'm ready to join a team and serve. I'm ready to do something in my community. I'm ready to make a difference in the schools. I'm ready, God, to make a difference on my job. Whatever you want me to be, God, I embrace that. I embrace that call. I embrace your power and direction in my life. And I give you the praise for it. Now, why don't you just thank him in advance for what he's getting ready to do in your life. Come on, that's it. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And we praise you, mighty God. You are worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. Amen. There's a beautiful picture that God has painted for your life. Allow him to lead you and guide you in it. Amen. Why don't you give somebody a hug? Tell them you love them. And God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. We will see you next Sunday. I hope you have an amazing week this week. Amen.